You are listening to the DFJ Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu. It gives me great pleasure to introduce today Chinedu Echuero. He is a partner and the head of principal investing for Constant Capital Ventures, which is something that he said a minute ago is something he's more enthusiastic about than anything he's done in a really long time. He's going to tell you all about it. But uh, the way to think about this is he's excited about building new ventures. And he sees that there's a lot of inefficiency in the startup process as you go from a good idea to building a team to getting funded to taking a product to market. And so his vision is to remove the bottlenecks that exist from taking a good idea to becoming a great company. So let's welcome Shemedu. Come on in. Uh, Tom, thank you very much for the uh, kind uh, introduction. I flew in from New York uh, last night, uh, and I'm very excited uh, to be here um, at Stanford uh, with you guys. So I'd like to uh, talk about two things um, while I'm here. With uh, The first thing is uh, my entrepreneurial journey and share some of the lessons um, I've learned. And the second is talk about the, the power and the potential for creativity. Um, a topic that um, typically isn't discussed, um, it's certainly mentioned, but I really do believe it's a source um, of, an, it's an unlimited resource uh, that um, people really should take more advantage of. So I'll start with um, how I came to this country. As you can tell from my accent, I'm not American, or as I wasn't born in America. I came here when I was 16 years old uh, with my parents. Um, He's a professor, so we kind of jumped around from university um, to university. And I graduated uh, with a finance and accounting degree, and I did what most people with finance accounting degrees did, is like you went to Wall Street. So I did um, M&A my first year, and I found it fascinating um, just to be in the midst of so much, you know, just to see kind of really global capital flows, um, learned uh, lots of skills, financial skills, et cetera. I spent way too much time with models. And I'm talking about financial models, by the way. Um, so so, so that's, I definitely learned a lot in that department. Um, but I think I felt something was missing. And we would go to pitch companies around helping them raise capital at JP Morgan. And I just had this burning urge to be on the other side um, of the table. So. I said I called my mom and I told her that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and like a typical um, African mother. She's like, well, what's, you know, that, that's not a job. You know, what's, what's an entrepreneur? And it's like, I have to have a real company to work on, a real business opportunity to go after. So I figured that the best way to do that is to have sort of transition points um, for myself. And for that, for me, um, that was um, business school. Uh, so um, while I was um, at Harvard Business School, I didn't have... Um, one interview for a job because I was, it was clear in my mind that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to have full control over my life. I wanted to have the freedom to choose how I spent um, every single day of my life going forward. Uh, so that's, that was the decision I made. So after graduating from school, I ended up um, starting a company called Afridac uh, with a classmate of mine and my brother. 
And so you have to think back in you know, 2000 uh, when I graduated, right? So internet penetration in Africa um, was still pretty low, but among the corporations and the corporates, um, it, was pretty, it, was, it was good enough. And the idea behind AfriDAC, which is a play on NASDAQ, is to create a platform to trade financial assets, um, money markets, and foreign exchange um, securities in Africa, given just the, the, the now the penetration of internet access on the continent. And uh, we raised uh, friends and family around. We flew, through South, flew to South Africa, to Nigeria, working on business development deals, and the company failed. And that leads me to the very first um, lesson. Right? So people often talk about make sure, pick an opportunity that you feel like you're the best person to solve. And it's certainly great, sound advice, uh, but uh, remember that um, you kind of have a kind of conflict of interest, right? So not only are you the person deciding uh, who's the best person to, to build this company, the person is also you. So um, our mistake uh, was, uh, so we looked at our team, right? So I had a finance background. My, um, my co-founder had operations background. My brother was a securities lawyer. And on paper, it made sense that we would be almost like the perfect team to go solve this problem in Africa. Uh, but in reality, what we found was that we didn't really understand the nature of the problem. And while it made sense on paper that foreign, foreign financial assets should be, you know, you, know, you can create you know, a great platform to trade in financial assets, we didn't understand the kinds of agency issues uh, we found particularly in Nigeria. So what we found is that while it made sense to auction your foreign, ex your foreign reserve efficiently and transparently um, as a kind of a general market principle, um, the members, the CFOs, the treasurers of these organizations had um, their own sort of side deals with the, you know, the buyers and sellers of these securities. So we, we certainly didn't create the kind of liquidity and the, and the adoption we expected. So there I was, kind of, you know, essentially broke after, you know, Harvard, you know, Harvard loans. And I had to get a job. I had to get back and pay the rent. Uh, so I knew I didn't want to do investment banking again. I wanted something more intellectually um, engaging. So I decided, well, let me go work for a hedge fund. So the first, um, so it was, a, it, was a, uh, it was a financial derivatives hedge fund focused on convertible bonds and credit default swaps. Uh, but uh, that's where I learned what I think is probably the most valuable lesson um, um, so far, which is that um, ideas matter. And um, I, and I think everyone else, should take ideas very seriously. Um, because in the financial world, um, you could create a financial trade. You can, you can suggest a trade idea that can net millions in, in a couple of you know, days, right? And when you think of yourselves as entrepreneurs who are creating companies, you almost feel like, well, ideas are good, but I need to you know, hire a team, find an MVP, raise capital, et cetera. I would like to argue that those are literally inefficiencies. There aren't virtues in, a, in and of themselves, and that the true source um, of human capital and potential is in the ideas um, you come up with. So um, after three years at a hedge fund, I decided to uh, leave and give, another, give the entrepreneurial journey another shot. And so I started a company called Hopstop. So the idea around Hopstop was essentially this, right? So you have 
what, what the site essentially does, it lets you get door-to-door -door directions using you know, walk-in walk -in directions, subways, buses, etc. So you enter you know, start an address, you enter your ending address, and um, it would give you walking directions to the train, to, um, get, tell you where to get off, where to take the next bus, and from the bus, end of the bus stop, how to get to your final destination. So for those of, who, those of you who use uh, Google Transit, um, we actually started and, and owned that space before they, um, they joined us two years after. So that was the company, but so I'd love to share with you at least the initial stories, uh, as you know, the initial kind of hop stop stories early on. So I lived in Brooklyn at that time, and I remember having to go on a date on the Lower East Side. And I think it was um, somewhere on Eldridge Street. And then you know you had the subway maps. Obviously, we didn't have you know the kind of everyone the map in, in everyone's phone. And I remember. Uh, figuring out, well, how actually do I get to 200 Eldridge Street? And I'm in Sudbury, and I have a horrible sense of direction, and I got lost, etc. And I don't quite remember how the date went, but I, I have vivid memories of what I did the, next, the very next morning. Um, I went to the subway station, I grabbed a subway map, put it on, my, on the floor of the apartment um, in, in, in Brooklyn, and I used the only tool I could use, which is Excel, because that's a finance guy. So, so what I wanted to do was like, how do I describe the subway system to a uh, computer science engineer um, so, such that, so that they'll be able to write an algorithm um, to solve that problem? Uh, so, you know, and I had some experience with kind of data sets, et cetera, so that's where I started, right? So I, I built, I built spreadsheets, okay, well, I have a routes and stops and exits, and anyway, so all kind of the core kind of informational, information model for, for um, the company. So I went to Elance, uh, which is, I think, now called UpMarkets, and I found a developer in Russia to, um, to build it. So we continued on this process, you know, iteration after iteration until we actually had a viable um, product, and I call it the MVP um, these days. And the interesting thing about that story is that I actually never met, uh, I met a developer, Alex, for the first time four years after we started working. So for the, for the vast majority of my time at the company, we worked remotely um, using, you know, I think then it was um, Messenger, etc. And um, I definitely had a, a few lessons from, from that experience. The first one is that product uh, matters, right? Um, product solves so many problems uh, in so many ways, right? So it helps you retain and grow your user base. Uh, it helps you get PR, right? Because in which, uh, uh, someone in the press uses it, you know, they won't write up a product that they aren't actually in love with. Um, it helps with the viral growth of your business. Obviously, with the, with the existence of the social graph, there are much more efficient ways to engineer the kind of virality you want in a consumer-facing um, product. But back then, it was really kind of press and kind of really old-fashioned kind of word of mouth. So, so that was like the early days, um, and I was obsessed about the product. You know? So my wife would look at me and wonder why I would stare at the screen. And Hopster, by the way, was only three pages, right? So you enter your uh, homepage, you enter your directions, and you get the results, right? There isn't that much to, to think about. But there, there is, right? There are so many elements of that experience that I, I absolutely obsessed about. And I think one of the reasons we, we continue to grow 
even after Google um, stayed competing with us, was because we had such a loyal um, user base um, going forward. So again, products matters, um, products um, solve so many problems um, going forward. So while I was at, um, while I was at Hopstop, a Columbia Business School student um, emailed me and said, you know, he wanted to, he loved Hopstop and he wanted to be an entrepreneur, but he didn't have uh, a company, he didn't have ideas, um, of, you know, that he, he could work on. I said, well, I have tons of ideas, let's meet for coffee and discuss a few. So um, I pitched him on an idea uh, which was based on my own frustration of being able to find a travel specialist. So, so back then, if you wanted to travel to, um, to, if you wanted to do a safari in South Africa, for example, it was, it's easy to get a flight uh, in a hotel because you can use Expedia, you can use Kayak, you can use um, Travelocity, et cetera. But if you, want, if you wanted what back then people called long tail travel, right? So these kind of like more specialized travel experiences, whether you want to do a safari, you want to do some wine tasting in, in, in Kenya, for example, um, it's hard to find an online solution to that problem. And the business, um, the business was essentially aggregating demands or uh, interest for these kinds of travel and then monetizing that interest through a network of travel professionals who are willing to pay you for that lead. So kind of lead gen meets travel was the essential concept. So um, it was great. I was, more, I was more focused on the product, and he was more focused on, uh, on business development and sales. So we eventually raised um, venture capital um, for the business. We hired a CEO to continue running the company. And the company is, is, um, still exists, and it's now owned by uh, USA Today. Uh, but um, so and I did this while I was a CEO of Hopstop, but I also realized that my true passion and my, my true interest and my, and my core strength um, is really in the kind of the early stages uh, of a company. So I approached my board and with their support, I ended up, um, uh, we ended up recruiting a new CEO for the company. Uh, then the company was in, I think, 20 cities or so. And, um, and he did a fantastic job, the new CEO, and scaled it, I think, to close to 300 cities um, um, by, I think, by the time of the acquisition. So it was a decision that, um, that was a really tough decision to make uh, just because I was so product-centric. And to be, be, to be able to hand over a company that you've, you've built, you know, kind of really from scratch to uh, someone else to, you know, to have stewardship over, it's a pretty tough thing for any entrepreneur to do. But I thought it was the right thing to do, just given my own particular skill set and, and that kind of understanding of what my own particular passions were and my, and my deficiencies in particular in terms of growth and, and skill in the business. So I then moved to, um, to West Africa, uh, where I essentially did private equity for um, three years. So then, so I switched from entrepreneur to now investing or wanting to invest in food businesses started by you know, small and medium-scale um, entrepreneurs. So the whole idea was you know, if, we could, if I could invest capital and also help in, in addressing the food challenges in West Africa, it would be something worth doing. And I thought that at least I'll be able to do good while making money as well. Uh, so we, we saw lots of companies. Uh, we, we saw um, one particular story was a, um, a soy processing factory in Kumasi, which is an hour away from Accra, um, Ghana's capital. And so I walk into um, the guy's um, 
where, um, factory, right? And you see this kind of old equipment uh, still rusted. You see holes in the wall. And essentially, this entrepreneur um, had incredible vision in terms of what he wanted to do, um, but he lacked lots of information. He didn't have really a template to begin to begin to build his business. He bought the wrong um, fact, um, equipment from, from, from China. Uh, he just made so many fundamental, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't think about the layout of the factory to allow for the optimal um, processing of soy, etc. And I saw many companies um, like that. Right? And so I did a, a short TEDx talk on this whole idea of a business in a box, where if society's real goal is to foster entrepreneurship, especially uh, among uh, small and medium-sized businesses that account for the vast majority, not the vast majority, around 50% of the non-government workforce, we, need to, we can easily do so much more to encourage it and kind of de-risk that, um, that process for them. So the whole idea around the startup in the box was basically say, look, let's think of the verticals or the industries that make sense, whether it's soy processing, mango processing, food processing, silos, whatever it is, you know, and let's create and, and crowdsource and open source and make it freely available, the core elements of, of a successful business of that kind. So think of uh, being able to look at, say, mango processing and be able to say, look, here's a blueprint. Here's, here's an architect submits a layout of an, you know, an optimal factory for, for mango processing. And an engineer says, look, for, for a, pro, a process engineer says, look, here's the best way to set up your, your line to be able to um, you know, get the results you want. So a financial person contributes a simple financial worksheet that lets, lets them plan for working capital, which was a major issue in many of the companies um, I saw. So that was, that was, that was the idea. Uh, so for those, for, those of, for those of you who are interested, you can just um, Google my name, and I think on YouTube, it's on YouTube, if you are interested in pursuing that. But that was kind of what I felt was missing um, on, the, on the African continent. So, uh, in t so we ended up not investing in the food business um, as I wanted, and we did make some other investments that also turned out okay, but um, I certainly um, didn't, I was, I didn't succeed in the ability of being able to contribute to the kind of the food um, value chain um, in West Africa. So then in 2013, um, Apple um, bought Hopstop. Uh, so I moved back um, in 2013 to, to New York City. And so uh, there, I think, is another lesson. So, so just think of, um, I think it was 2005 that Google Transit launched, right? So up of 2007, probably. So, so there we were, a small team of guys and girls in New York City, and literally the number one competitor you have is Google. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty tough um, place to be. And um, you never know... You know, people talk about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. It's very true. And, but the thing to realize that the ups may actually be, you know, downs and the downs may actually be ups, right? So regardless of what the good news or bad news you have, just keep on focus, focusing on what you need to do. So to illustrate that, so one would argue that the, the entry of, of, of Google into you know, our, our space was you know, one of the worst things to happen. And we continue to grow even though we probably didn't grow as fast if you just think about the, how, how widely distributed and syndicated the Google Maps product is. 
but I suspect I'm not, I wasn't in the boardroom when the Apple decision was made, but I suspect uh, that the Apple acquisition for, of Hopstop was because they had a competitive um, hole in their map, in the core mapping product, and they needed to, they needed to fill, fill that hole. So again, you know, take, take your good news and take your bad news and just keep on going because, uh, um, again, for, in my own case, the entry of you know, um, Google was probably one of the catalysts um, for um, Apple's acquisition um, of, of Hopstop. So, um, so over the past 12 months have actually been one of the most um, creative um, months for me. Um, I, can, I can describe how I feel right now because every element of um, every, every month, every couple of weeks, uh, an idea pops into my head and I think they're good ideas and I'm very excited um, to work on them. And, but what I see, and, and to Tom's introduction, is what I see is, well, you have these, what you think are great ideas, then why can't they be great companies, right? Then as I observed um, the, you know, what's happening in the, in the kind of incubator and accelerator, accelerator space, um, I just feel like there's more that can be done. And in some ways, the, 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 the entrepreneurial process even in the United States, reminds me of what I experienced with Kofi um, in Ghana. So you have, you have ideas, you have passionate people who want to build um, great companies, but you also lack so much information, so many resources to execute on those ideas. Right? And in my mind, um, I realized that I think that the whole system can be re-architected in a much more efficient way so that the countless entrepreneurs don't spend their life savings and, and, and have all the family issues that go with um, the failures that are very often uh, the case with many of these startup ideas. So my particular passion right now is to basically rethink um, the entrepreneurial process, rethink how do good ideas turn into great companies and create the kinds of win-wins, right? Where you have great idea, great company, you have investors who make enough money for the ideas and you have the entrepreneurs who don't spend, you know, five, 10 years of their, of their lives uh, on a company that doesn't result in the kind of outcomes um, they want. So, um, so I had, I, I, came across a very interesting commencement speech by a guy named um, David Foster. I'm not sure how many of you, who's, who knows about David Foster? And, okay, great. So um, it goes uh, something like this. So, so two little fish are swimming down a stream and they come, they come across with this older big fish and the older big fish says, uh, good morning boys, um, how's the water, right? And they swim by and one of the little fish looks at the other little fish and says, what the heck is water? Right. So it's, I guess you guys, <laughs> uh, so I, mean, I, thought it was, I thought it was very profound uh, because it really cuts at the, at the heart of the, of, the, of the question of creativity. So I believe um, that in this very moment, right, we're all, right, immersed in kind of unlimited potential. You know, at this very moment, you're at the cusp of the next big idea, right? And you might wonder, well, um, well, you know, 
I'm looking for the, the next big idea, but you know, I'm really struggling, right? And I think that's the, I believe that's the wrong approach, right? So the key in my mind, in terms of un unleashing the kind of potential human creativity that I think all of us have, is to try not to look for the next big idea, right? Um, what, so instead of doing that, I, I suggest and I, and I hope that you figure it out what kinds of activities and habits do you need to inculcate, right? To basically, to basically be able to see the water next to you, right? Which is a different approach, because what you'll find is that not only will you see that which you sought, you might see that which you didn't even know to look for, right? So a whole different set of possibilities that become available to you once you have that mental approach um, towards creativity. And that the, the idea, uh, sorry. Um, so to, to make it, put it in sort of practical terms, right? So, well, so what's the big deal about creativity, right? You know, like, you know, we're you know, in, in Stanford, it's all about products, all about customers, et cetera. But I do believe that creativity plays a big role in, in success, right? So, I mean, I, I use Uber to get here and I'm sure there's a kind of like, guys that came after Uber and the guys that came after them as well. But, you know, I use Uber and that's what I use. So there are real competitive advantages in being first to market. And if you have a new idea that no one's thought of, right, you own that space, you own the market share, you own the, the you, you create thought leadership in the space and it's a real competitive advantage, especially to the extent that you're building network effect type businesses. It's a strong, and it's a, you know, be able to be first in doing something is a real advantage. Even after starting a company, um, to be able to take comments, ideas from your customers, from other people, from other industries, and apply it to your own company, again, is a source of you know, incredible value. And, and I encourage you to think about, um, as, think of creativity as a way of really unle unleashing a lot of value that's right there in front of you, right? So you might not see it, but it's there. So instead of looking for it, trying to figure out what stops you from seeing really what's next to you. So, so again, that leads me to kind of what I'm working on now. So, so because I have gone through this period of uh, lots of creativity, uh, my challenge right now is to figure out a way, well, how do I turn that creativity and the ideas I have now into companies? So I'm working on a variety of things, but the first thing that I realized, like the number one um, bottleneck for me is finding talented um, people to, to, to join the team and work on these different ideas so far. You know, I believe, I believe creativity, again, as I said, is a source of unlimited wealth. You will never run out of good ideas to start. You just haven't found those good ideas. And once you find the next one, there'll be a next one after that. It never ends. There won't be a point in human history where we would have all the ideas, all the services, and all the products we want. We want, right? That'll never happen. Those ideas are out there. You just need to figure out how to actually see the water next to you. And to put it in more concrete terms, imagine a marketplace where you have the small fish Right, competing with the older big fish, right, and they don't even know there's water next to you. So those are the, those are my comments and those are my experiences so far. I'd love to answer any questions that you have.
biggest success over your years? Uh, um, what do you mean? In, in what in what um, aspect? As, so you said you're in private equity. Yeah. What was your What was your most favorite experience when you're in private equity? Yeah, so the question was, what was my, my most favorite uh, experience in private equity? I'm not sure if I can answer that, because uh, for me, uh, it wasn't my thing. I realized, again, that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I, d I certainly enjoyed my time in, you know, in Ghana and Nigeria and looking at, looking at what, uh, but I wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? And that, and, and, and the Apple still happened, so that gave me the luxury to go back and pursue that. But my true passion is creating um, companies. Um, you know, so people think of businesses, you know, entrepreneurs as business guys, but for me, I really think of it as arts, right? I think of businesses as a form of um, creative expression, uh, where there are, there are things, there are unique experiences that each, each one of us have, and if you, if you have the intention or you have the, the interest in, in manifesting some of those interests, right? For me, that's a big part of what drives me to, uh, to create companies. mentioned that it's better to put, your, to put yourself in situations where you're able to see opportunities and think differently and how to generate ideas. Um, can you give maybe one or two specific examples of what you did differently or habits you actually uh, inculcated in your personal life that sparked ideas that you didn't have before? Sure. So one of the things I did um, over the past 12 months is literally devote an entire day towards um, investing in my um, creativity. So I would literally say Fridays, I wouldn't work. I wouldn't have any meetings set up. And I think it's, it's, everyone is different. Some, sorry. Um, some people um, focus on kind of meditation. Some people focus on listening to music. People focus on traveling and, you know, experiencing new things, but it's, you kind of need that because while education and society are great, they're very bad at inculcating, um, you know, the, the human spirits, right, in terms of what you want to do, right? So we've traded kind of um, an oughtness around of the world with kind of potential, right? So you ought to do this, you should do this, and I think what's missing is the, the wide variety of um, human potential, um, and I think education has to play a role, uh, parenting has to play a role in it, but each person has to discover for themselves what unleashes and what brings down the walls of literally seeing the water around you. And for me, it's, um, it's, it's a lot, I listen to music quite a bit, because I think something about music and the complexity of sounds um, allows my brain to, um, to, to see new things, so to speak. Yeah. Question about um, you know the impact that your company has, or actually uh, the constant constant capital LLC or partners ventures has in Africa. Um, I think recently, I guess you were you were ranked amongst the uh, Forbes um, Africa's most powerful you know men, or whatever. What what do you see as your your vision or your impact for you know the African region uh, in terms of? Uh, constant capital ventures, investing in the young people or in the people in Africa in general, yeah. and what kind of impact or changes do you think? Sure. I don't know how I made it on the list, so let me just start off with 
with that. So I think technology represents a huge opportunity for, for Africa. So the way I think about the opportunities uh, with technology, especially in Africa, is I think at some point, I don't know if it's 10, 20 years from now, the, all the phones in the world will probably be smartphones, right? So you have you know, the poor African armed with, uh, with a, a smartphone, right? And that, for the first time, allows them to access and allow, now creates an ecosystem, a marketplace for people to build the kinds of apps and services that actually create value for them. You know, the large corporations and most of the governments in, in, in Africa have done a poor job in really catering to the, to, the, to the average man. So once you have these phones in the hands of, um, you know, the average African, you can now allow them to access a whole variety of resources and assets that they, they never had an opportunity to. So in healthcare, in education, I mean financial services, all those are things that are, make a big impact on the lives of the everyday African. Uh, so uh, we, um, we don't invest specifically, um, yeah, saying we're gonna invest only in Africa. My, my, my vision uh, for um, the, comp the venture builder um, um, based out of New York City that I'm, I'm working on is to be able to address global opportunities, uh, those, including those um, in Africa. In comparison to current <coughs> to other uh, incubators or accelerators that are out there, what are you going to do differently from the ones that you see right now? Yeah, well, that's the secret sauce that I'm working on. I, I, and, and there's so many elements to it, and I really can't discuss in detail. But you know, so the so but the the short answer to the question is, um, there in my mind there there are basically four things you need to have a successful company at least in the initial years, right? So you have a a great idea, you have a well functioning team, you probably have a product that has some traction, and you have capital, right? You know, people could disagree on a few things, but I think roughly. Those are the elements of at least early stage um, success, and um, and I believe that that each of those processes, right, um, are, are currently each of them is is broken, right. So just think about how people think about team building a team, right. So uh, you guys are, um, I think, mostly very very technical. I, I think uh, engineering school at Stanford, but. Um, you know, the typical process, you know, so like, like, let's take the case of Harvard, right? So a Harvard Business School student says, uh, I have a great idea, let me go to MIT, let me figure out a technical co-founder, right? Which may make sense because you have limited resources, you need to figure out the best person to help you work on the idea. But I think what you'll find is like that probably the number one reason why uh, internet companies fail in the early days is, is kind of internal team dynamics, right? So it's, it seems odd to me that, uh, uh, a, 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 an industry focused on disrupting and innovating other people's industries, right? Uh, that this is all we have, right? This kind of, kind of lock-based approach and this kind of highly networked uh, approach was finding team. Like, what are the characteristics? So a person like me with a certain attributes of um, what I think are important in my own life and my own work style, isn't there a more thorough way to think about um, team team building, right? Like, is do we is this really the the optimal set of um, processes in terms of you know building a team? So I, I think there's lots of things that can be done around it. You know, product cycles, for example, this is another one, right? So you have these entrepreneurs. Obviously, you know, lean lean startups is a is a major 
theme, right? But I feel like even within that industry, right? So if you go to an incubator or an accelerator and then they have speakers tell you about best ways to think about your MVP, there's still so much that you have to learn, right? And all, there's so much wasted in that effort and be able to figure out how do I go from an idea to you know, a prototype to an MVP, et cetera. Same thing with capital raising, right? So um, you, uh, you guys are here in the, in the heart of Silicon Valley. So you probably have an easier um, chance of meeting and those, having those kinds of meetings that allow you to raise venture capital. But for the most, for most other parts of the world, right, people don't have that um, opportunity. And I think there's a, there's a much smarter way of really aligning capital to these kinds of ideas. So those are the, essentially those three things I'm, I'm trying to build systems around, you know, people, product, and then um, capital. Back on your childhood, uh, what specific experiences would you say were particularly pivotal in forming a set of values that you think have enabled you to be successful in a variety of different contexts, but particularly within entrepreneurship? Uh, and uh, I guess what, what advice would you give uh, to many people in college or going through college right now uh, to really seek out experiences that would help develop those things? Sure. So I grew up in Nigeria, as I mentioned, and I came here when I was 16 years old. And what's um, something that really affected me is this whole idea of the power of business to change lives, right? Because, you know, I, I've always believed that, and everyone knows this, like the African countries in general are not very people-friendly. You know, they're the one resource that human beings have, you know, kind of our own, you know, our own selves, right? People kind of downplay for natural resources and others as well. So what I found was just the power of business to change lives. So that was a big um, factor in the way I think about what is valuable work, right? So I definitely think that business is right up there with education, with being a doctor, et cetera, because you solve problems. And my definition of, of entrepreneurship is um, solving problems profitably, right, with limited resources, right? So that's how I think of it. I really think of every, every startup I've done or, every, or, or I intend to do is, is geared towards solving a real problem for people. So that's the way I think about it. But, there's, but, but on your question, there's one, there's one experience I had that I actually realized was actually much more important than I've actually thought about, which is the whole... So I, the, one of the first real job I had was as an intern at this company called Agway. It's now, it's now bankrupt, right? But I was an intern. Um, but and the whole idea was I had to basically... They had all these reporting units, and I had to find, use Excel... I had to use a database and I had to use Excel to basically to streamline the reporting for, um, for all their different operating units. And coming to think about it, right, that experience allowed me to have a certain comfort with information and how to think about data, that that then allowed me to, to kind of be able to attack the hopstop problem, right? So you'd be surprised how those, how those nuggets of experiences are now become the thing that gives you a leg up or gives you insight into the nature of um, different, different problems. Yourself. 
So I think, but I think many people already discussed this. So I'll try to figure out how to um, spin it differently. So I, you know, they they talk about skill sets, right, and and capabilities. So I know my, I think I've been able to kind of look at myself and figure out, well, these are the things I'm good at and things that I'm not good at. And the logical step for me is to figure out people who can do the things that I don't want to do or, or can't do. So I think that's just the first one. Um, but I think there's no, there's no one way to do it. Like the CEO of Hopstop, who did a great job running the company, him and I are entirely different, right? Um, he went through um, uh, basically a whole transitioning of people at, at the company just because him and I have different kind of work styles and, and personalities. So there, I don't think there's a particular um, answer. Some people could be very analytical, um, but, but slow. And there's people who are like kind of, Gut driven, right, and and quick, and so it's you know really you can't really there's no real kind of one answer for for that kind of question, but the things that matter obviously are kind of interest and passion in the, in the products that uh, that you want to build and your ability to really be able to work with them, right, which is such a key thing. Again, the the team dynamics is one of those over underlooked or overlooked. Um, parts of entrepreneurship that I think people should really, really think about before um, before starting the journey. Yeah. Sure. Last question. Last question. Yeah. I was reading. I think uh, uh, Apple bought uh, Hopstop for around a billion dollars or somewhere around there. What 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 all do you think went into that process? That deal of um, you know having having them actually purchase it for for that amount, and what were they really looking at? In the, in the whole process. Sure. I didn't aware the the billion dollar came because it was certainly not um, not public, and I've never said what the what the and Apple hasn't either said what the um, what the purchase price was. So I just want to be clear on that. So the uh, the obviously the rationale is what I uh, initially explained. They needed again. I don't know what the rationale is. I mean, let me be clear on that. But I I assume it's because of the the relevance of transit into the core um, Apple uh, mapping product. Um, but again, it's something that happened and, and happy it did, but it's not something that, like, that, that drives kind of the decisions I make generally. With that, what we'd like to do is have a big round of applause for Jen Du. You have been listening to the Draper Fisher Jurvetson Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find additional podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu.